What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Kafaro Cast. I'm announcing today's podcast because I won at Rock Paper Scissors, but technically lost. Uh, but you- technically, I lost. I was the odd man out. I don't understand these rules. But we have our good buddy here, Trevin. Trevin S. I don't know how to say your last name. You got to say it fast. Stoltzfus. Stoltzfus. <laughs> Stoltzfus. Strategery. <laughs> uh. And Aaron's across from me right here. So, what's going on, gentlemen? Not much. What's happening with you? Yeah, the the magazine looks great, by the way. Yeah, it looks really good. I don't want to talk any crap about the older version, but this is much better. Well, <laughs> we're headed in the right direction, and we just had the CBA banquet, which was a lot of fun. Um, I say that because it's had been postponed because mm. of COVID, right? So 2019-2020 didn't happen. So it was uh, two years build up to the CBA magazine and it was also a great time with uh, the new may june issue just coming out to be able to get people's feedback and mm-hmm. and all that stuff and you know you're going to get all types of feedback you're going to get you know uh, good bad but all of it can be construed as constructive criticism so um, the one thing we did get that was straight across the board was that yeah it's a lot better as far as it was a step in in uh in the direction of being a bona fide magazine versus a more more of a newsletter yeah. and that's what we were shooting for image heavy uh capture and imagination the images are great yeah. I, you know and it's the right amount because if i get when i say the right amount you, there's got to be not everybody's dumb like me and looks at pictures right. so you got about the right amount to capture both sides of the fence, right? There's enough enough text and enough photos. Right, and, and you, when you're looking at, at least in my opinion, uh, with my experience in the magazine world, I've I've had a little bit, not not a super uh, amount, but um, but I did stay in a Holiday Inn Express one time, <laughs> and um, I I feel like the cover has to capture your imagination, mm-hmm. and then as you start to flip through it you know, you got to suck them in. It's just like when, you know, when we produce films or, or the, or TV shows, episodes of, you know, you got to, it's a hook. You got to set that hook and, and bring them in. And that's, I think what we've done capturing people's imagination, wanting them to ma- turn the page. Yeah. No. And it's a good thing too, with you guys, we're able to be the word unite everybody together a little bit better. Um, when I say unite, You've got a lot of pistons firing, a lot of people rowing in the same direction now. Because there's a lot of, lot of, lot of photographers, a lot of businesses, things like that in Colorado, that you guys are are able to funnel into this magazine now. So uh, when you know when I say that, I mean you you know, as you look into this magazine, you can see that you guys were able to take a a much larger pool uh, to come out with the final product, which is which is awesome. So and and the key thing for me is that this magazine is about the readers, meaning uh, I'm, here's a shameless plug for those of you listening to send in your Colorado, well, not just your Colorado hunts, but we want to be able to, we want to be able to showcase people's adventures. Yeah. Um, please take good pictures. And Aaron, I still want to do something where we focus on how to do that. <laughs> but, you know, I think that's something that could be a three or four or five part series. Because that could get pretty technical. It could be. One of the things that, uh, and we can touch on it really quick, and it just won't take very long. I mean, you have good camera gear, right? Frank has good camera gear. But you don't, to take a good quality photo, you don't need a, 
you know, a Canon 1DX or, or a 5D Mark IV, I recently bought a point and shoot, you know, before I was recommending the Sony RX100, unbelievable camera. I got the G5 Mark II from Canon. Mm-hmm. I don't, that's what I'm packing in for backpack hunts. Uh, really? 22 megapixels. Um, unbelievable. I can, it's all man, you can adjust it all manually. Now, that's not to say if we did a close backpacking trip or I was paid to photograph someone, but it's kicking out eight to 10 megabyte photos, plenty, plenty of room for a magazine, right. you know, and, uh, if you learn how to take a photo, it's got aperture priority shutter. You know, you can you can use it just like an SLR. That's not a bad option. You know, it's it's a little bit seven hundred bucks, but what's a lens for our camera? Eighteen <laughs> at a minimum, yeah. right? Yeah, eighteen hundred to three grand. Unless you start going with something that's, uh, you know, Leica or or uh, you know Zeiss glass or something. Yeah, I, I think uh, what people need to understand is you need to. Uh, and for guys like us that have been doing this for a while, uh, it seems rudimentary. But you know, what? Why do you want high megapixels when you're looking at something? I mean, the basics are: look, we you want the higher megapixels because it allows us to blow it up higher, to, to, and you get hot. That's where you get high resolution. Yep. And so when you're basically taking a higher megapixel photo, is they expand that. There's more mega donkeys in there, so it doesn't get grainy as they expand it. And so, you know, an iPhone, uh, a newer iPhone, doesn't take horrible photos. It's, no. it's good. What this camera allows you to do, if you don't want to spend money on an insane, you know, what we use, you can get that point and shoot in a couple extra batteries. It'll be somewhere between six and hundred and a thousand bucks. Expensive, but an iPhone's twelve hundred for a new iPhone. You could that'll help you learn photography. That gets you, you know, out of the out of the out of the uh, the starting block, so to speak, of learning aperture priority and composure composition. And you're actually going to be able to use their photos when they send in a submission. So yeah, I I I had a cup. I had an article submitted the other day, and um, and it's it's a good article, well written, and the photos looked pretty good, but they're about. 400k <laughs> you know and so i'm like okay well i can use those in about a two to to four two by four you know a pretty small area but you know if i wanted to do a two-page spread Can't no well, no chance no chance and uh you know you i don't know if if television has screwed us up but you know how people go hey zoom in on that license plate all right enhance <laughs> that is, you cannot do that. That is something that is literally not possible. And I laugh every time that they do that on television. They're like, okay, now can you enhance that image? <laughs> Are you thinking no. Super Troopers? <laughs> yeah. Enhance. Enhance. Uh, enhance. We were talking about that yesterday, actually, with our security cameras, or security cameras in general. They're, uh, you know, you have these high-resolution images on Mars and shit, but then, um, you know, we have somebody dump some refrigerators behind the building we can't even zoom in on their license plate it's pretty sad yeah, <laughs> it, it is sad and it's it's comical because when i say comical coming back to what um trevin was talking about uh you know hey uh trevin frank i want to get into wildlife photography i've got a budget of about 700 bucks you're not getting into wildlife photography at a high level because the lens for a 600 millimeter lens is $12,000 for a two to 500 is five grand. Probably even a crappy 150 to 600 sigmas, which are good lenses. Um, 
uh, you know, they're 1800 bucks and then you got to put it on a good body. Sometimes it's, you know, you, you got to build up. You can't just dive into, Hey, I want to, you know, get, go take wildlife photography shots. You, Cause as you zoom in, when you're talking about enhance, there's a point where it goes from, um, a good photo to, I guess they call it digital zoom, uh, where it's grainy as hell. You're going to see, you're going to get the idea. There's going to be an animal there, but it's going to be grainy. So technology has only gone so far. But for anybody listening in, if you're looking like, hey, I want to get into photography, you don't want to dump a ton of money, uh, the Canon G5 Mark II or the Sony RX100, like there's as many version versions seven of now. it as, yeah, as Fast and the Furious, but I think version 4 on, under a 1000 bucks, amazing photos and makes your guys' life easier. And, you know, nothing wrong with... Actually having kick-ass photos to look back in 20 years of, of what happened, you know. I think if you can understand shutter, you can understand f-stop, you can understand what ISO does. Yeah. You know, there's there's a couple of features that you, uh, that run, a, that make a camera work. And yeah. if you understand those individual features, you can run any camera in manual. I could grab a Nikon or a Sony or Canon, and it, I might have to find the buttons. That was with that point and shoot. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's enough. a gorgeous picture. Yeah. 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 Once you say the buttons, once you know the buttons to push, right. you know how to make the right. adjustments. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm looking for a cinematic depth of field, kind of like that cover on the magazine, you know, if you look at it, that RAM is in perfect, perfect. He's out of focus. Why? Because he had a low f-stop. You know, his, yeah. his focal length was very shallow. And if once you understand how to achieve that, if you're looking for that specific shot, you can do it on any camera. Now, I will say this, using like a 50 fixed, a 50 prime yeah. 1.2 is going to look a lot more uh, archy-fartsy than, say, you know, a kit lens. Yeah, the best photos, I, I say the best photos, some of my... Um my favorite photos in general are with a, a 50. Um, that's with a 50 one, too. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. And so, but a lot of that, too, one of the things Frank has going is he has that eye, you know? So you call your, what do you say here, a checker and a guesser? Guesser and checker. Guesser and checker. Guesser and checker. So his his eye for specific, you know, compose, uh, composing different shots is unbelievable. Um, but you've never really, you know, screw up settings. I mean, you got the hang of it. Um I think anyway, seems like it. Yeah, I mean, if I if I find something that I like or that I think is going to turn out to be a good shot, I'll take it in a bunch of different settings <laughs> and just see see, <laughs> see which, which one, one looks. Like. Well, looks it's best. like it's like a cook making a recipe. You always need to be tasting, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's what we have the advantage of versus film. Yeah, back in the know. day, you know, yeah. See, that has great depth of field where you 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 feel and you can see the the close surroundings the, the the ground and stuff but then all of a sudden it's crystal clear on the subject yeah. and it gives a great depth of field that that is uh and it sucks awesome. your eye right, right to that that yeah. that animal right. so but but yeah we don't need to go on to photography too much but i think uh you know it's important if you're wanting to document uh you don't have to spend six seven eight grand i mean i don't know what all of our I don't even want to talk about it in case our wives listen i just got the new rx uh five no or not five, RX the our, uh, the new R Sony RX3. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it's... The, yeah, A7 it's the th R3, you mean, or whatever? No, the R... So it's like the A7 III? No, it's like the A7 S3. 
It's the new video version, version of yeah, their yeah. latest and greatest. It'll do 4K at 120 frames per second. Yeah. Um, yeah, and but yet it's 12 megapixels. So it, for the photographer, it has to be. Yep. Yeah. So so it, because you know, and we could get into all the the details of why it has to be, but it's amazing. Megapixels are not necessarily your friend for video no. and low light. You mm -hmm. do not want a lot of mega donkeys. No. Um, that's one of the reasons that 1DX is such a monster in, in night shots. It's only 22, I say only, it's 22 megapixels, but it, it's, it's, it crushes, you know, in low light. I mean, right. things unbelievable. But, um, yeah, for video, that's one of the reasons Sony, I mean, they're smart. Low light, right? 12 is as much as you need, so... Back in the day, we would go, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. But, you know, legal light, legal shooting time, well, you couldn't really shoot for another 10 minutes because you had to wait for the light to catch up for cameras. And these cameras now are just so, so amazing. They, you know, I, I think we were playing around. We were at, I don't remember what the ISO was, but we were playing around not getting any grain almost at legal light. Yeah, well, and... Here's what's funny, because I've been, you know how you have like a tactical movie and you got military guys beside you just picking it apart? Well, you'll see hunting shows where the video looks probably not legal shooting light. Well, your camera doesn't have the human eye. It, it's right. So when I watch and it's that dark, I know like, oh, they're 15 minutes into legal shooting light because you can't film before. I mean, you just can't film right. before that, and, and, and roughly anyway, because like videoing, I've tried to video lower light before just, you know, it, not to like make a production of it, but just, you know, basically like seeing what the, the legs, the camera has and technology is getting much better, but still 30 minutes before sunup, you're not getting video. No. So <laughs> no, I mean, I, I will say this RX three is pretty dang. It, it, it's pushing the limits, yeah. but, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, we, we, I mean, if somebody's really interested in camera, there's so many, so much good stuff, and you don't don't go looking for hunting photography. Just go looking for photography in general. Uh, Google search rule of thirds. That's the other thing. I wish people would understand composition, and some people have it, some people don't. But but the people that don't have a good eye for composition, a co you know, the composing a good shot, um, they can learn. It's, you know, if you'll get a couple of good basic rules. Anyway, uh, I could talk. I'm a, I'm a nerd when it comes to. Yeah, there are a ton of assets gear. out there, though. Like, I think we brought up the, uh, is it the Nathrops? Is that their name? Uh, the husband and wife? Uh, Tony. Late, and... Lathrop. Uh, no. I can't remember. Yeah. Anyway, they're, she's cute, too. They're funny. Like a yeah. Frank. She is. Um, there, there is different YouTube, um, well, like the Fronos photo, he's kind of a ding dong, but he's good. That uh, Tony and and his wife and his wife, yeah. Uh, there's and they, they go over all that. You can go got, from ground level and to a very advanced with those different YouTube videos, which is important. And there's probably a million videos per each camera that they're out there. Like when uh, Aaron got me the uh, R the A seven R two, I just watched probably I don't know three, four, five different how to videos on on the camera itself. So. Knowing how to use your camera is pretty important. Otherwise, you're just sitting there screwing with buttons the whole time. Well, and and I got to be honest, I'm getting a little nerdy here, but uh, I was really a big Canon guy. I love their color profile, but the Sony with the uh, with the mirrorless, 
it was just going leaps and bounds. It's if, again, we are strong. We have to have video. I mean, so we're a little different. We're not just photography. We've got to be able to have a strong video platform. And so getting into the Sony, but one of the things I liked about the Sony is I could customize buttons. So I set it up like the Canon. So I actually, when the going, you know, it's just like anything else. When, when you're on animals and, and you're running a camera, it's like, understanding your bow and understanding what release you're shooting and understanding all that flow we set the button so that my muscle memory would come into effect from all the years of running a canon 5d or a, you know or a 6d or something like that so i could i could make my adjustments quickly and now canon has the r5 which allows so it is amazing how technology and again these are very expensive cameras I bought that 1DX because I got to the point where I literally knew I was going to be that G5 Mark II point-and-shoot. And if we were doing anything crazy heavy, takes great video for a point-and-shoot, enough for what we do, right? Right. I'm not going to do a video production with it. But if we need to do a short clip and that 1DX, I'm like, piss on it, it's indestructible, basically. I looked at the R5, the new Sony, so they came out with that new R5. Pretty much crushed everything. And then Sony comes out with the Alpha 1. And right. it's like... It's never ending. Technology is amazing. And so like right now for photography, the R5 and the 1DX would be my choice for video would be, uh, you know, the, the A7S versions or whatever, right, because yeah. they, they're just monsters in low light. They can but get you places you that, cannot get. And that FX3 that we just got has, it's, it's basically taking that A7S3, I believe, platform, but again, only a 12 megapixel yeah, you know, we took that one DX to Greenland when I went on my uh, muskox hunt. And it minus thirty degrees. Yeah, I was really impressed how well the cameras did. Have you ever had to? This is an interesting thing. We had to actually um, temper the cameras. So like we couldn't go from the sled I, into the <laughs> camp. I told uh, I did a class on this. So when I do night photos, I leave my camera outside. And so when I grab it, it's not fogging. It's not air. So when you say temper, I'm assuming that's what you mean. And if I'm going to take shots inside, I got to leave the camera inside for 30 minutes to heat up, acclimate, get the fog off, and then I can take a photo. If you don't do that, you're going to get foggy ass photos, whether you're going out to in or in to out. No, you're changing the matter. conditions. Yeah. What we would do is we would take it and we would temper it in the porch area yeah because yeah. it was warm but yeah. it wasn't as as warm as inside yeah. and then we'd leave it there for 30 minutes to an hour and then we'd bring it in yeah but we did the same thing coming out we'd start we'd wake up the first thing in the morning we'd bring it out to the porch set it in the porch area then we'd get it all ready eat breakfast and then come out but otherwise yeah it was but it did pretty good other yeah. than batteries i mean batteries just don't like yeah. cold and that uh, and those batteries on the one dx that i have the mark three um are are the the strongest battery you can get. I mean, I think they'll take 1800 photos in good conditions. Right. When you're, when it's cold, you can suck a percent a minute out of some of the batteries without using it. Just, yes, just, just laying ha- there. Right. Yeah. And what, what Dustin would do is he had a shirt underneath and by his base layer that he just put batteries in the pockets. So he always had them against his body. So then he'd pull them out and it seemed to last longer. I do like when we're wh- whitetail hunting in cold weather, I'll leave a hot hands and I'll, yeah. uh, and yeah. I'll drop them in there yeah. just to make sure they stay heated up. But we can do, we can do a separate podcast at some point for, 
you know, photography from bottom to top, like everything from the, you know, the golden triangle and the rule of thirds and Mm. drop, go into all that. But that could take three hours. So we probably covered enough today. Yeah. Yeah. so what else? What else did you want to shoot shit about? I I really think that this would, going into July August, which is where this one will, will appear in the magazine uh, transcribed. Uh, let's talk about playing off of what we did in the last issue, which was, and I love the slogan: "If you're poor, you got to be tough." Um, but let's let's talk about summer scouting because I think that's what we're going into, and using summer scouting to find holes in our gear lists. And, um, and then also, uh, you know, uh, just the things we can learn, animal behavior, stuff like that, but, but that really tailors into what, what kind of gear and what changes we might make from that June, July scouting to that, you know, depending upon what you're hunting, that August and September hunting season. Gotcha. Frank, you want to kick it off? Yeah, I think we brought this up, uh quite a bit in in previous podcasts but what i always like to say is um i like to use like our summer fish not necessarily even scouting but just camping with friends or fishing trips take your hunting gear out with you and a get to know get to know it just like you're talking about with the camera gear get to know it really well set up your tent know how all of your gear works so that you're not scrambling last minute on your hunt and say something doesn't work out then you're kind of screwed so I always like to use, and also, you know, I forget certain things during the winter, and then you go scouting, and you're like, oh, I forgot to bring this, or I forgot how this works, or something like that. So I think it's important to utilize those uh, those summer scouting trips, or fishing trips, or camping trips with friends, just to, to get reacquainted with your gear, because a lot of times I forget, you know, this is what I use this for, this is why I bring this, or I don't need this particular item for, for hunting. So, Do you guys find that... Um, I know I do this in the winter time when I'm not out actually boots on the ground, climbing hills with a pack on my back that all of a sudden I forget about weight and I get these great <laughs> yeah. ideas about, yeah. Oh man, you know, I'm going to take this next year. Yeah. That first trip for me is generally a heavier trip scouting and that it helps remind me of what the hell was I thinking? Cause the, uh, I always call it the good idea ferry. The good idea ferry hops in, and then you pack it in, and you're like, okay, maybe that wasn't such a good idea. And you realize you don't really need it. Sometimes I think comfort equates to heavier weight. Like, I I love having that little backpacking chair, the Helinox chair. Yeah. But I don't ever take it hunting because it's (laughs) it's just extra weight. But it's nice to have when you're in camp, if you're fishing or whatever, and you're sitting around. Those things are awesome. Well, and I, I was... I did a podcast last night with a guy that's never been high country mule deer hunting and he just had questions. And I would say it's anticlimactic when people hear what Frank and I actually take, because there's not a lot of extra super cool crap in the pack. It is literally the minimal amount we need to, to make it for eight, 10, 12, 14 days. And so clothing, I, Hey, what's your clothing list? And I'm like a shirt, a puffy, uh, a rain jacket, you know, I mean, there ain't a whole of fleece. Like there's not a lot in there. So, Adding gear, and you know, we test out gear all the time. I kind of just assess what's the weight of it. Did it perform better than what I had? Is it lighter or is it heavier? If it's heavier, did it perform that much better to make the increase in weight? And if it didn't, then we tried it and, it, you know, I keep the same thing I had. Um, I would say probably this year I just looked at that Zolio and ordered one to test it against the inReach. Mostly, too, it's cheaper uh, for for a it links up to your phone to be able to text wherever we want. Um, still, stoves, a, still satellite based. 
Yeah, I think it uses Iridium okay. uh, satellites. And then uh, it's a cheaper plan, and it's only 150 bucks for the system. Uh, so just to see how it does. Um, stoves, we pretty much use like the MSR reactor. We'll go back and forth. That's another thing. And I don't know, Frank, your, my view on like, like shelters uh, is if it's really far in in a short period of time, I don't mind bringing a tarp. I can make it through three to five days or just about anything. If it's really close in, I'll bring whatever I want because I can I can pack any amount of weight for I'll pack you in for two miles right, right? but um, I when, won't pack you in for any miles. It's a yeah it's it's not not a fair yeah it's <laughs> it's definitely not not equal across the board there. Um, you would get there faster without me, but yeah then you throw me on you. That's not fair. But if you look at um, uh, what you're going against, right? If you're crazy crazy altitude gaining. Yeah, you might want to, you know, cater to maybe a little bit lighter system, uh, drop some things out you may not need because oxygen is now your enemy. Where when you're looking at weather, well, you can probably handle a little bit better, more weight because if you're not looking at horrible terrain but you're looking at bad weather, your, your gear list is going to change. We try to test everything as much as we can to where when we're flipping and flopping gear, it's, it's uh, commensurate to the conditions we're about to go in. I think what happens... I've talked about this a bunch, and, and you've been doing this a long time, as long as I have. You have the poverty phase, right? right? And we talked about that. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be poor, you got to be tough. Mm-hmm. You're just using whatever you got. Then maybe you get some money, and eventually you hit what I call like the go-go gadget Q phase, where you're throwing all kinds of crap in your pack you don't need. It's new. It's exciting. you got some money. And then eventually, after multiple different phases, you bring what you bring. Like I don't use a spreadsheet anymore. I don't add weight. When I've when when I say add weight, like if I've tested it through the summer scouting, it, it fit it you know it hit the list. I don't weigh it and worry about it. I mean, I just put it in my pack. I don't overpack. You know, a lot of guys will say, um, you know, well, if I buy a bigger pack, I just fill it. Well, have some discipline, right? I mean, you know, you got to be, you got to parry that shit in on your back, right? So you got to be careful with. Um, the good idea, fairy, and I, I'm sure it's happened to you. I mean, oh, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you think you think I had this one instance that that happened one time, and and oh, so I'm always going to take this or that to to, and and it all boils down, at least most of the time, it boils down to as Frank said, the comfort. Yeah. And um, but if you don't have that exact same situation happen, then then you're then you're literally just packing it around. It, it's like war. We are always basing the next war we're fighting against the last right. one we fought, and that's not a good idea. That's not a good idea all the time. I, I, we we always say, and you probably the same thing. If I haven't used something in my pack for three to four trips, it's probably coming out. The only thing I'd say is a patch kit for my air pad. That's staying in. Um, you know, repair kit stuff. That's always going to stay in there. But if I have a specific knife and I've never pulled it out of my pack, it, it's not you know, coming with me anymore. If I have a piece of clothing, I'm like, oh, I'm going to bring a wind jacket. Well, if I never use it, I'm not going to keep, you know, you, you got to be, you got to be, just because you bought it doesn't need to go in your pack. And I think knowledge and wisdom, determination, those things can't be bought. So when you're bored, you you buy your way in. And I, I don't mean that in a negative way, but I get bored and I buy crap all the time I don't need. Then I have all this gear, and I'm like, shit, I only need 2% of it, and I got all this gear laying around. A lot of people will throw that in their pack because they did purchase it, and that can lead to a pretty heavy heavy pack in. Do you guys find yourself 
uh, evaluating right after the hunt, or is it more the next time you're getting for getting ready for the hunt, you're thinking through what you took last time and realizing, okay, I didn't need this extra, you know, whatever. I, I'm pretty well dialed in from scouting. So okay. when we hunt, there's not a lot of assessing. I don't know about you, Frank. Yeah, I think the evaluating goes on during the scouting while you're scouting and then maybe when you're unloading your pack and then, you know, like something like Aaron's talking about, you take something out of your pack and like, oh, I didn't even, I didn't even use it during that trip. Why was it in here? And then, you know, you set it aside. So I think the evaluating happens while you're out there. And then probably when you're unpacking, you're like, oh shit, I, I forgot I even had that in my pack. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of different, I mean, I'm not exactly an ultra lightweight weenie. And one of the jokes I've brought up before was James Pecker. Uh, he wanted to bring these bratwurst in. I had elk brats. I think they were like jalapeno cheddar. Anyway, he's like, man, we should pack those in and eat them tonight. And I'm like, man, I'm not packing that shit. So we, we get in it's like four miles and he's like, man, I can't wait to have those brats. And I was like, did you pack those in? He goes, oh, hell no, you did. He hit them in my pack. I didn't even know. So I packed all of them in. And so weighing things out, like I didn't know he threw them in there. So obviously I'm not super sensitive to here and there weight, but I don't, I don't know that I, I really, I don't really overpack because I know exactly what I need. That's not to say Frank couldn't hide a rock in my pack and I wouldn't have any idea. It's just when I load my pack, I know what I need. Frank's even worse than I am. Frank, you pack at the trailhead half the time. Yeah, I'm a little bit of a last-minute packer. But, <laughs> but I think, uh, yeah, when you have your gear dialed in, that gives you better opportunities to bring stuff that matters, like food, I think. Um, you know, having a good base amount of gear that you're comfortable with carrying, and then, you know, if if you decide you're going to stay longer or whatever, you can bring more food. And that's a big comfort item for me, at least, is is having plenty of food and sometimes too much food. Well, let's, let's talk about that, which I've never brought too much food. Um an extra, an additional piece of, piece of clothing. Um, and let's say it's a, that jacket you've got on a, a jet stream jacket. I don't know what that weighs, but it may be a pound, let's say. Would I, if I already have rain gear, right, do I need to bring in a moderately somewhat sort of water resistant piece that blocks the wind? Or do I want to bring in four extra Metrix 100 chocolate chip cookie dough bars? That jacket's staying home. I'm bringing food. Because um, you can throw your rain gear in if you need to block the wind. Yep, the rain gear will block the wind. And so that's where you're kind of like, well, I bought this. It's going in where I would say I cater more, a lot more, as, as Frank had said, to to food. And I think just because food's important for me, like I can build a fire and warm up. I'll go walk around. I'm not saying I don't bring rain gear to bring food, but I have a base amount of gear that I know I need uh, for clothing. And I don't deviate from that so it's like oh man i'd really like an extra set of pants i'd really like a candy bar right so i don't bring the extra set of pants gotcha so. gotcha now one thing i pe think people don't understand is i want to talk a little bit about sleeping bags is the ratings on the 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 cold rating on a sleeping bag um because i have froze my butt off on what was quote unquote a 20 degree bag and it's not even close to 20 degrees and i'm cold and i don't to, normally sleep cold i i do you want me to break that down or you yeah want to do I, it? no i i would love for to get so people can understand when they're going to walmart because again if you're poor you got to be tough you know you're going to get a sleeping bag that's a lot heavier but is that what is that rating and 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 
what what should we really be looking for? So generally, um, depending upon what bag it is and everything else, there's going to be a lot of times two ratings. There's a comfort rating uh, and then a survival rating. If it's a 20-degree survival rating, it's comfort rating is probably 40, okay. uh, 35. And so, like for us, when we tested our 20-degree bag, that was just a few different guys, uh, well, a handful of guys sleeping in it that slept warm and cold, and that was like the comfort rating. You can, I've had people tell me all the time, you can sleep way colder than that, and I'm like, well, I, I can't. Now, if I wrap a puffy around my feet or whatever, I can cheat the system. So when, when you look at sleeping bags, the first thing is if it's, if it's synthetic, there's multiple different types of synthetic. Uh, you know, there's there's what we use, right, which is Apex, uh, like Combat Climate Shield, Apex Climate Shield. Uh, then there's all the different types that are um, like Primaloft. You know, there's Primaloft Sport, Primaloft One. So down is kind of the same thing. So if you took this giant Nalgene in front of me, uh, this is not videoed, but I have a 100-ounce uh, water bottle from Yeti. If I took 650 filled down, um, it will take, because there's more stems and sticks from the feathers in 60 fill, 650 fill because it's a lower quality. So it takes more 650 fill because it's not as lofty to fill this up. If I go to a 900 fill and, and these bags are rated the same, the 900 fill is lighter because it takes less, less down because it's fluffier or loftier to fill this up. So if the rating was does the same, if the rating was done correctly and it is the same, the 650 fill bag is as warm as the 900 fill, but it's heavier because it took more down. Then when, when you look at that, is it a comfort or is it a survival rating? Generally, unless it's a Western Mountaineering, a Feathered Friends, maybe a few others, their temperature ratings are legit. That is a comfort rating. The other thing you have to remember is it's a comfort rating when the size of the human is applicable to the size of the bag. So if you got in a Western Mountaineering Badger and it says 15, it's probably a 20 for you. Because I'm smaller. Yep. And there's a lot of dead space. Uh-huh. Where if Frank and I got in it, we're filling that dead space with body heat. When you get in it, you're not filling it. So then you take your littler body, more body heat to trap the dead space. Then you can go into reverse. If you're too big and you're pressing against the insulation, now it went from a 15 to probably a 30 because you're compressing the loft. Um, So the loft is getting squished down. So generally, I guess overall, if you look at something and it just doesn't, if it doesn't have a comfort and a survival, that rating's probably a survival rating. Right. So and you when, gotta add fifteen degrees. When you're when you're getting a zero degree bag. It's probably a twenty. It's probably a twenty. <laughs> and yeah. that's why people are like, Man, why am I why am I cold and yeah. uh, you know and yeah. I, I know this because I take a lot of kids hunting. And you know turkey season, it can be twenty five degrees in the morning, right? Yeah. Or and, worse. Or yeah. worse, right? <laughs> and what I end up doing is for those kids, I take two I take one of those old canvas style with the flannel in it, and it's supposed to be a zero-degree bag, right? Yeah. They're huge. Yeah. And they're great if you're car camping. Yeah. Um, and then I'll take a zero-degree mummy bag, and I put it inside that for those kids. And if you add all that up, it makes them sleep comfortable. Yep. But if they were just one, yeah, they wouldn't They wouldn't freeze to death, but they would not get a good night's sleep because, number one, they're small humans. Yeah. Yep. And number two... It's a zero, so it's probably more like a 20 or 25 with them. Yep. Um, yeah, so that makes total sense. Well, I, I guess as we're 
diving down this a little bit more, it's the same way, uh, whether it be a sleeping bag, then you look at a sleeping pad. If you have a 15 degree sleeping bag, truly comfort rating, and you put a sleeping pad that has a low R value, meaning it is not retaining heat, the, the down or synthetic in the bottom of the bag compresses and is basically useless. And so your pad now takes its place. So if your R value of your pad is not commensurate or in continuity with the temperature rating of your bag, all your body heat heats just drops out the pad. And so you, you have to have your system dialed in right. equally. It's a combo. It's a combo, yeah. So if you get like that Big Agnes Q-Core SLX, which I'm a huge fan of for three seasons, I could have a zero degree bag sleeping in 15 degree weather. Um, and if I have that pad, I'm going to get cold. Um, great pad, but uh, you got to use it what it's built for three seasons. But if you use a Thermarest X Therm, that thing is a 5.7 R rating. You're good to go. It's equal to your bag. You're going to be fine. The other thing is if you're getting in your bag dehydrated, now you don't want to piss all night, but the, cold, the, the more dehydrated you are, the colder you get. If you get in your bag and you don't use the hood, but you don't wear a beanie, your bag will not meet that ratio. It's, it will not meet the rating. So you have to be smart about it. I've had guys, because I don't use the hood on my bags. I wear a beanie, and then I just suck up. The, I don't like the shit around my head. So my bag, I got to give it a little bit of extra oomph because it's like, okay, I'm not using it to where you're fully enclosing all of your body, zipping it up to where you look like Kenny on South Park. Mm-hmm. If they're rating it that way, for which all of them do, and you're not using it that way, you might not get to 15 degrees in that bag comfort. So you got to think about all this stuff. And there's a lot of bad press on different bags because people didn't use them correctly. And, you know, oh, I froze my butt off and I'll just use a Kafaru bag, although we have pretty good ratings on ours. But I used a Kafaru bag and froze to death. There's a lot more to the arc of a story. What was your pad? Were you dehydrated? Were you freezing? Did you sit around camp before you got in it? Because there's no little mice in that sleeping bag generating heat. It's your body heat. And so if you're not producing body heat when you get in the bag, the bag is going to, it's like a refrigerator or a, your, your bag, it's a cooler. If you put hot crap in a cooler, it keeps it hot. It's, it doesn't keep it cool. If you put it cold, it keeps it cold. Well, if you get in that bag and you're freezing, you're probably going to be in trouble. It's going to take a while for your body to produce heat to trap it in the bag, which is why I do a shit ton of push-ups before I get in my bag. You, 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 you bump up your body temp in order to be hot when you get in the bag, and then it retains that heat and keeps you. Or cook your meal, and as it's uh, hydrating, put your mountain house or your, your you know whatever peak refuel or off-grid in the bottom of your bag. Your feet get colder easier. Let that that heat that bag up for you. And so a lot of times I'll take some laps around camp. I'll do some push-ups. In fact, I mean, I'm sure because Frank and I on our mule deer hunts are quite a ways apart. If he ever filmed me, he'd laugh because I literally, and I don't run much, I'll literally run in circles around my shelter. I'll knock out 50, 60 push-ups, and I dive in that bag because I hate being cold. Um, so I warm my body up. Right, that's that's smart. I know guys that'll boil water, put it in their Nalgene, and throw their Nalgene in the bottom of their, of their bag, you know, to keep their help with the feet. I have a, a Garrett Drack who uh, um, was one of our field producers. He he runs cold, and so in September, you turn around and he has the Lost Park parka 
Uh, and I'm sitting there in, in like just a freaking little hoodie and glass. <laughs> well, it, you know, when when temps drop in the mountains, he will he has a zero degree bag and he'll put his his parka system on and then get in his backpack <laughs> or get in his sleeping bag that way, which number one fills more space, I think. Yeah. Um makes him bigger, but it also helps you know, he's kind of like you. He does not like to be cold. Yeah. So he errs where I, I tend to sleep a little warm. So unless it's really cold, I, I do okay. But well, and I've been in different, well, when I shot the deer in 2020, when you came in, remember I had messaged you, Hey, I'll be just past the Creek. Nothing flat. And it's it, like a dummy. I, I shot the deer, right? Climbed up over the, the mountain, which doesn't do a great you saw that shit I ha- you've been on that side it's steep it's a steep razor back there and uh so I I, I didn't want to I was too lazy to go back and get my pack because I had left it when so I had my bane I'm just jammed as much as I could into that little bastard carried one sack you know I had one game bag in my hand and my bow I got on the other side I called Amy I called Randy cooling I probably called you I talked way too long storms rolling in I'm like all right Frank if you're gonna come in I'll be just past the creek what was I, a fucking mile past? I, I couldn't find flat ground. Then I was lazy, and I didn't put on rain gear. And it's not really rain. It's sleet and snow, the bad kind. So I, when I finally get to, I'm shivering by the time I, and I'm not going to gritty the hell out of this. I wasn't dying, but uh, it was cold, you know. And so <laughs> I got my tent set up, threw everything inside. I'm already soaked, right? So I run around, try to find some firewood, warm up. I strip totally everything off that's wet, and I put my puffy on and my rain jacket on inside my tent to retain heat. A lot of people don't think about this. I would say you and I have put ourselves in enough bad positions, probably you as well, to know how to get yourself out of it. And so socks and boots are wet because I had pants on, sucked down to my sock, went into my boot. So I got in my bag, my feet halfway up, body's retaining, start my food, get refueled that way, leave that heater on a little bit in my vestibule, which you're not supposed to do, but I do anyway. Got a little warmth in there, got warmed up, threw my cold stuff back on uh, that I had to, kept my rain gear on, built a fire. Went back in the shelter, got everything wet, and built a bonfire and tried to dry everything off I had, knowing what I had was dry, what was wet, not getting what I had dry, even wetter, just common sense to not, you know, you don't want to hit hypothermia. I wasn't going to hit hypothermia because no matter what I did, I could just hike out, right? And and that will warm you up. It's steep. When you got there the next day, it was cold. It was cold. There was a little bit of snow on the ground. I think my my beard was frozen by the time I got there. It was it was late. It was late in the archery season there, so it was one of those late storms that he was talking about, and it was it was really cold. And 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 as much you know as I profess to know what I'm doing. I, I could see the storm rolling in and I stayed talking. I was so happy. I finally got a deer, you know, went back in and I stayed on the phone too much. And honestly, it was just, what do you call that? Uh, admiration day. I was just sitting there with my meat, and my gear and my pack and just happy. I got a buck, not really thinking of the potential repercussions. Now I wasn't in danger at any time, but I would have been hell of a fucking happier if I left an hour early right. and set my tent up before I was soaked. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. I mean, uh, a lot of that comes from experience, but even experience sometimes situations. A storm, you know, you've yeah. been in the high country where a storm rolls in and you don't think it's going to be that bad, and then it turns out to be a lot worse. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know, Frank. I, you, 
I mean, I know that one year you were solo for 12, 13 days. It rained almost every day, didn't it? Yeah, it rained a lot. I think one thing that helped that scouting season, I was using a, a down quilt. And uh, my buddy, our buddy Dan and my buddy Clinton, we went scouting um, a, a weekend during the summer. And it, it rained. And I think we had, I was using the mega tarp at that time. And we got caught in a storm. So we set up just the mega tarp between the three of us. <laughs> it was super <laughs> tight there and I'm wrapped up in my quilt and, uh, it was raining pretty good. And I don't think I seam sealed the, the tarp before the trip. So I got, it was leaking and, uh, I got that quilt wet and I was like, well, I <laughs> down, <laughs> down quilt, <laughs> rainstorm, cold. I don't think I'm, this is going to make it into season. So that's a good point to, uh, to the summer scouting and using your gears. I, I, came to the realization I wouldn't be using the quilt during that hunt. And I ended up having to stay for 12 days to get that deer. And I didn't plan on staying that long. I, I brought a good amount of food, but that's uh, another point to bring in extra food or like Aaron said, there's no such thing as too much food. If you bring a lot of food, you can ration that out. If you, if you're thinking you're going to stay longer, you can kind of eat a little bit less during the day and let that food last you a couple extra days. I, I went into this in great depth in that seminar was when you have high caloric burn days, eat more calories when you have less caloric burn days save your food and that or if you have days where maybe you had a little bit more high caloric but you stayed busy and you weren't thinking about hunger you want to replenish your body but you can go two weeks without eating anything and not die that way when you get to where he and I have been like oops day eight we were staying eight days we might be able to make it to day 10 or 11 maybe not happy but we will make it by saving a little bit of food um I, I think Sometimes people listen to these, and this has been very apparent in the last few podcasts, and don't really realize the pain and suffering of backpack hunting. Like the ice axe that I bring sometimes, I'm not climbing Everest. That's to dig out seeps, dig out beds, things like that. I'm not using it because it's a walking stick, and I only like to use one walking stick because I hold my weapon in the other hand. Is that needed for an elk hunt? Probably not. If you're not camping by water, probably not by elk. They need water. But higher altitude stuff, it is handy at times. And so there's certain things that that we do. Well, like when I was with Cliff, we used the map as a water trough, right? So we just took the map so it could drip out, and then we just take a dry sack, put it under that, and let it drip in all day. You know, I, I said that, and people, you would have thought I was talking about the moon being made of fucking cheese. People are like, what? And I'm like... Well, if it's only dripping a little bit a minute, like it's got to sit there all day. I said, so I made it, you know, kind of manufactured it to where it would drip like a bucket. They're like, well, isn't that bag dirty? I'm like, well, what do you think you're, the creek's dirty. Like, I'm not going to just drink it straight out like it's a keg. I'm going to purify it, but it's holding water. Or like those rocks by my tent, we had a pump that one time. Every time it rained, you would have looked like I was an old man digging up coins in the yard. I'm pumping out of every hole in a rock I can because there's there's not a lot of water up there, and it was you were screwed that one year. You had it no was water. well, yeah. Last year actually, there's a a spring that I usually camp by, and it um, first couple of days it was it was going pretty good, but it started going into a trickle. So I had to a I did I dug out a couple little pools so that it would pull up, and then also I did the kind of same thing that he did with his map. I got some uh, food wrappers like you know Cliff Bar wrappers power bar wrapper as well that kind of stuff made little spouts used my stove uh my stove to collect water and then that would drip into uh into like my water bottle or my into like a, a bladder or a bag so i could have water for the next couple of days so you, that's the kind of stuff you have to think about otherwise i was walking probably a mile and a half two miles to a kind of a, a runoff pond 
that was disgusting. Yeah. That and I, exactly. I talked to a guy and I was like, yeah, I drank some water out of there the other day. And he's like, dude, my horses hardly want to drink out of this. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, my, probably my most horrific, uh, backpacking story. I don't know if I've ever do you t- told you this with cam yeah, with cam. Did I tell you that? And the belt wasn't right. And you yeah. ran out of food and water. Uh, exactly. And you, yeah. you'd, you'd mentioned it in passing before. It didn't sound good. So <laughs> I'll tell it because I think it's very important because it shows what your mind thinks you can do. Um, having had some experience prior to that backpacking, I would say by no means was I a expert, but I had spent some time with a pack on my back and stuff. And at the time I was working for Eastman's and I was, uh, I remember Guy Eastman called me and he said, Hey, we, can you film cam on this hunt in Wyoming? And I said, Oh yeah, sure. You know, I wrestled at college and you know, I'm a, you know, I, there's no quit in me. Right. But there is a sense of, I can perhaps accomplish more in my mind you know, it's that romantic, oh, backpacking. I want a backpack hunt. You know, it's that, that idea. You don't really know what you're getting into. And uh, w- with him, at the time, we had a, a sponsorship uh, with a pack that I, doesn't matter what the – it's a different pack. And they were getting my pack, and it was – for some reason, it was back ordered or whatever. And so he was just going to bring it to me at the trailhead. Well, it had a large belt on it. <laughs> so – Back in those days, there was no goal zero. There was, you know, I mean, if you were going in, you had to go in with enough batteries. You weren't going to be able to recharge your batteries. So, and that was back in the day where the battery, uh, it was like little bricks. I had nine of those. How <laughs> heavy are each one of those? I mean, I can't imagine how much more weight I had just with those. But they, I had to have an extra 15 pounds of batteries i was gonna say at a a minimum of nine to ten so yeah probably 10 to 15 a lot um i you look at that seven days of food yeah i mean in batteries well (laughs) and here's what we did we decided we uh you know i was we met at the trailhead and we're gonna hike in we were gonna take four days worth of food in and um so we divvied it up and cam's pack um, my, I, I would say our packs were probably in that 50, 55 pound, which might have been a little heavy, really, if we were thinking about what we were doing. Um, we we're going to bivy sack, uh, out, you know, that's what Cam liked to do at the time. Um, and I'm just happy to be there. Yeah, right. Yeah. I'm young, um, definitely eager. And so we start heading in and then I realize. How miserable! Think about a, a you know a forty-five, fifty, even fifty-pound pack, not that heavy with the correct fitment of your pack, but mm-hmm. when you have no waist belt. So we stopped three or four times, got knives out, tried to rig the belt so it would tighten tighter. I ended up, I think, taking out a jacket and tying it around my waist to make my waist thicker. <laughs> you know, all these different things, and we end up going up there. And my biggest fear, I have to be honest, was uh, mule deer hunting. There's not as much moisture or or water as you would get if you were elk hunting where you know because elk have to water every day so of course if you're elk hunting and there's elk there there's going to be water and so we're up on these this big ridge there's not much water there and i was like crud i don't want to have to drop 1200 feet to get water cam cam didn't cam didn't seem to care or he hit it really good (laughs) because i was 1200 feet is freaking far to mm-hmm. drop for water like people hear that i don't think they're putting two and two together because they're like they're like oh you only had to drop a thousand feet and i'm like 
Look at Green Mountain. That isn't a thousand feet. Right. To, to get water, you have to come down that. And I'm like, oh, if it's not that big a deal, run up to the top real quick, touch the top, and, and tell come, me how that went yeah, for you. Yeah. Every day. <laughs> and and so that was a little bit of concern for me. And then we get in there, um, and I, you know, you mentioned the water. We found a water source that the sheep. <laughs> Had been in there, and so you know what it smelt like. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, well, worst case, we had we could boil it. We had iodine tablets, whatever, you know, pure water purification tablets. And so we get in there. Third day, we wake up to seven inches of snow, which is, let me just say this, it sucked, but it was awesome because bulls yeah, were bugling, <laughs> and there's yeah, water is a non-issue anymore. Except my camera won't work. Oh no! So it was the old. You remember the Sony PD150? Standard oh, death camera. That is way old. Yeah. Right? Yep. Okay, so that's the camera I had. And I open it up. That was almost, that was 18 years ago then. It could have been. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was. Could have been. <laughs> it was actually 2002. So almost 20, uh, 19 years ago. So we, we get in there. The bulls are bugling. And he has an elk tag and a mule deer tag. And um, we'd seen some mule deer, but hadn't had any successful stocks. And so we we bail off down in this deal. And, I mean, I'm excited. Now, we're going to freaking polax one right there. I mean, it's go- it's on. And the first thing I do, we call this bull. He starts to come in, and my camera has the big water symbol. It won't <laughs> run. It won't freaking run. What was Cam saying at this time? Oh, he was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and the thing is, here I am, the new guy, right? My only job, my <laughs> only job is to film this hunt, you know? And, of course, coming in, I'm dragging. I think there was a point where he's even carrying my sleeping bag, trying to lighten my load because I'm carrying everything on my shoulders because i got nothing on my hips, mm-hmm. and I am hurting. And like I said, I thought I was a pretty tough son of a buck until you get in a situation where something's not right and you just have to gut it out. Mm-hmm. So that, that you know, I'm, I'm trying to explain. I'm like, man, he's, he's frustrated as, as I would have been too if it was my hunt and the cameraman can't make his freaking camera work, right? So the one thing that Mike Eastman said before we left is he said, you guys get this on film or don't come back. <laughs> Meaning not... If you don't kill an animal, don't come back. But don't shoot one off a camera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I guess, and I, this was before I was with Eastman's, but I, but I guess Cam had gotten in some situations and hunter instinct took over, and mm-hmm. I think there was some animals killed off a camera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know that for a fact, but that's what I took from that from Mike saying that. So he's also thinking, crud, we got to get this on film. So, of course, I come up with this bright idea. Hey, why don't we pack out? Let's go into town. We'll get a motel room, go buy a, a hair hair a hair dryer because cameras will dry out, right? Yep. But this storm is in there. It's you know, and 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 it's pretty socked in. Mm-hmm. And I said, let's just dry it out and we'll come back in. And he looks at me and he goes, Trevin, you won't make it back in. <laughs> that was the most humbling. <laughs> but you know, he was right. Yeah. I, I as I look back on it, he was exactly right in the fact that I was not prepared either mentally or gear-wise to be able to do it. Okay, so there we are. Next morning wakes up, freaking completely foggy. The camera won't work. So we're, we're basically sitting there talking, I guess. You know, maybe I, I learned about his life. He learned about mine, right? That kind of deal. You build a bond 
somewhat, you know, when you're in the, um, in the mountains, the, the following day, the sun came out and I remember opening that camera up on a big boulder, everything I could open it up to, to get it to try out. And I remember praying, Lord, just let this thing work. <laughs> that afternoon, the camera started working. But if I took my finger off the zoom, it would zoom all the way out, mm. you know, all the way, or all, all the way in. Right. So we, we went hunting and I had to hold the zoom button out. So unless I wanted to zoom in, I just let it up. <laughs> so we're calling in bulls and I'm holding down the button so that it doesn't zoom. all. The, there was no zoom in a little way. Stop. It was all the way in or all the way out. The next day, the camera worked fine. We have, remember, we have four days worth of food. We've already started rationing. He killed his bull on the ninth day. <laughs> oh my. And we had, I think, you know, at the time we were uh, MREs, you know, meals refusing to exit. Um, <laughs> and, and we had like one of those little biscuits that they'd send and some peanut butter. Or th- I, that's all we had left. Mm. And uh, we killed that bull. I remember we we kind of came over this rise, and I remember uh, I he he wasn't calling at the time, and he would make fun of me because I call I called a bunch, and he would say, "Come on, Jim Horn, call a bull in," <laughs> because Jim Horn, which who was with Primos, he was one of my mentors. He he kind of uh, worked with me a lot on calling, and I I love to call elk. Well, anyway, I called bull answered. We start going down this deal. Well, in the I chewed snuff. And here's the crazy thing. I had like 10 cans of Copenhagen at the time. Why is it that you don't forget that, right? I never forget it right. myself. Yeah. So I had just put, put a big chew of snuff in my, and took my, my diaphragm call out. And we're walking across this bottom to try and get up on this bench where there's some timber. And we know the elk are on the other side, we think it is. Mm-hmm. And we look up. We're halfway across this opening. Not a stitch of cover anywhere. And we see this rack coming. And, and so Cam stops. He's probably five feet in front of me. I start hitting record. And I don't have a call in my mouth, nothing. And that bull is walking over the rise. Now he's straight on, coming rem- straight at us. I remember this video. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yep. And so. It was a seven by seven, right? Uh, yeah. 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 And so I just remember going, crying. You did that. You went, ew. <laughs> <laughs> well, what else am I? Well, first, Cam Cam draws. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the bull picks up on that, right? And that bull starts to just hightail it out of there. And all I could think of is I got to make an up call. So I'll go, ew. He, he later called it my meow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he stops. And, yeah. of course, Cam's at full draw, and he pinwheels him probably 40 yards. And here we are. So ninth day. Well, this was back in the day. Cell phones were still pretty new. I mean, it's, there was lots of cell phones around, but, it, you know, you didn't have iPhones. It was just, a, I think, a, a razor, like yeah. one of those razors. Well, I had a little bit of battery. So I hiked up to the, a peak where I got service, and I called Ike. I think Ike was in the office, and I said, hey, because we had an outfitter that could pack us out. I said, we got a bull down. Can you see if you can get a hold of Tim? And uh, pack us out. And he said, okay. Well, we didn't know what the deal was. I told him where we were, um, you know, basically via a map and the bottom of this drainage and the bottom of this drainage. You know, that's all I could think to tell. I don't even think I had a GPS with me. So we go back down. By the time we got that elk quartered out and hung in a tree in the shade, um, we hear this, like like somebody kind of, hey and we get out in an opening, and we look on this ridge, and there's a 
packed string of horses. That was the best sight in the stinking world. Did he have food for you? He had <laughs> two of those pint Pepsis yeah. and a, a, a stop and rob, you know, a, a come and go yeah. submarine sandwich. <laughs> Which is gold at that point. I could only eat like an eighth of it. Because I, I don't know if my stomach had I'm shrunk. I'm sure it shrunk, yeah. Um, but I remember, oh, that was the best. You know, no no mayonnaise, no mustard, none of that, right? You just, oh, it's so good. And then I remember I just drank like a third of that Pepsi, and I just want to take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do remember that was uh, that well, that was one of the things. I Here's what I remember. I don't remember being hungry. Yeah. And I remember there was a point in that trip and I think it was when Cam called me out on the fact that, dude, if we hike in, you can't hike out. Something in my mind switched. Yeah. And I, I, I don't ever remember being hungry, even though we didn't have any food. Yeah. And I just remember we're gonna do this till we do till we get out. And I remember Cam even getting a little frustrated about the eighth day. Yeah. Like, man, I mean, because the pressure was on him, right? Yeah. And uh, and I remember trying to, kind of, to to encourage him too, as because we were a team at that juncture. I lost 13 pounds on that trip. And you, I have 13 pounds to lose. You are not exactly an imposing <laughs> figure weight-wise. Like, what no. do you weigh now? Uh, probably about 142. And what did you weigh then, 130? Yeah, probably. Yeah, Because I, I remember thinking, looking at you, and that you look like a fucking I Skeleton. Got a ninja turtle going in with that pack on. Right. One. <laughs> right. You know, and then, yeah, when you're coming out, I remember this. I think my buddy Johnny Fortato and I watched it. We were in Washington. And you guys had called the bull in and didn't get it. And I remember Cam literally looked like, because he doesn't really ever get sad. He was not, you could see he, he was, was his, down. His, his ding ding was in the dirt. Yeah. And he's like, we just can't catch a break. It was in a wallow. I think mm-hmm. it was kind of open. And we then later. We came up over and the bull was, we were almost there. Yeah. But didn't work out. Well, then I remember, because I've had to do that before. And, uh, that bull blew out, and then it, it did the normal thing bulls do. When you went, ew, it stopped, and it was quartered away decently, and he, he pocket shot it. Yeah. And he's like, Trev, seven by seven. And I, you could see, like, he he was on his last leg, but, like, you could see his excitement of, okay, we, we got it done. And I don't know that nine days is a long time in, mm-hmm. in the woods. And it's I say that, you know, it's not a long time for Frank and I anymore because we've done it enough. But yeah, the first time you go nine days and you're faced with snow, a pack that doesn't fit, running out of food, camera doesn't work, and getting your ass kicked by elk, it takes a pretty mentally stout person to stay on the mountain because it's a hell of a lot easier to walk out. How many times do you think about walking out? Well, <laughs> honestly, I, the I, choice. I, I, yeah, when, when that that flip in my mind switched. Yeah. I never thought about good. it. Yeah. But it but up until that point, about every fifteen minutes. And <laughs> and and here's the crazy thing. I wanted to call my mama. I mean, because I was uh I went in it with the romanticism yeah. of backpack hunting that we all have. Yeah. Because we've done it. And I've taken a youth group church youth group backpacking, right? And and I know what to expect. I think well, but when you get in that situation, and um, yeah, it 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 it, t- it sure tested me, and it showed me the resolve of what you just mentioned before I started this long-winded story. Of it's more you you, you mentally you got to be prepared. It's not this 
romantic idea of of you know uh, who was the old TV show that the guy that had the bear, Grizzly Adams. Yeah, it's not Grizzly Adams walking across a meadow and the birds are chirping and all yeah. is right. <laughs> I mean, you're just like picking a spot up ahead, especially because Cam had an aversion to trails. He liked to go straight up the freaking mountain. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, okay, I got to make it to that tree. Yeah. I mean, I remember setting the, and of course my shoulders were killing me because I had no weight on my hips. So there was a combination of my expectations and reality. And I think if people will spend these summer trips and, and go through some pain, then, um, then it will be much better in the end. Yeah, and I, I think, uh, and I get a little blowback from this as far as, uh, and, I, and I get it because uh, when I say blowback, when I talk about the things Frank and I go through, I don't mean that as a, a bragging thing. Like I'm not saying, oh, we, we're the toughest men alive, but what I'm saying is from time in the field and our gear, we will outlast most people. Mm-hmm. And that that's not to say Frank and I are tougher than everyone, We've been back there. We know what we're facing. And so we know there's going to be really good times and there's going to be really bad times. We know we're probably going to run out of water. We know lightning is going to come through. So having knowing all that and experiencing all that, there's not a whole lot. I'd just say injury would probably be the only thing that's going to drive us off. It wasn't like that always. you know. So when I say that, it doesn't mean like I popped out of the womb that way. There was a lot of hard times and freezing and things that where I learned along the way. And then now, obviously, we just try to pass on that info, which we're doing right now. The romanticizing of um, backpack hunt, if you want to do that, just go a mile in. Right. You, you, you'll be able to not experience a lot of pain and anguish. If you're a mile in, you got a lot of good gear, you can do the backpack hunt. You probably may not see any animals. You may. But when you're talking 5, 7, 9, 12 miles in, 5, 7, 9, 12, 14 days in, the romanticizing of backpack hunting kind of goes out the window because then you're actually faced with a real backpack hunt, and, and those can be pretty rough. You know, and it's I think it's almost like when you start working out, when you haven't been working out, sometimes you just need to start small. Yeah. And and if you build up to that, you know, there's no there's no shame in just going three miles in. Mm-hmm. You know, if you need to go deeper because that's where the animals are, you're going to do that. But through these summer scouting trips or fly fishing trips is a great example. You know, you can get and you can go, okay, I, I can do this. Or you you understand what it takes and you go, here's my limitations. And then you can figure out just like lifting weights or whatever, how do I, how do I make that deeper? How do I make yep. that stronger? So one question I wanted before we wrap up t- today, one another question I wanted, lightning. I, I think you mentioned that, Aaron. I think <laughs> that is something that freaks people the heck out and i know we talk about you have a better chance of getting struck by lightning or 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 getting bit by a shark than you do getting struck by lightning but if you're in shark infested waters and you're swimming around your chances might are a lot higher than if you live in new mexico (laughs) yeah okay so if you're on the top of a ridge and there's a lightning storm coming by you've just upped your chances so what what suggestions or what advice would you give to people when you get some of those high country storms I'm I'm not the right probably guy to ask. Um, I I can't speak for Frank, but I just sit through them anymore. Now, under a tree, do you pop a tent? In, what do you do? If I'm in the tent, I just curl up in there and lay up. And now, let's put this into context. If Frank and I are camping on a knife edge ridge and there's a lightning storm hitting cloud to ground, spiking that knife edge ridge coming directly to us, 
I might just get in the tent, right? That's stupid. But overall, when lightning's going off, unless it's directly above us, I just get in the tent. And Now, we had one go over last year. I texted you and said, did you – because when it went by me, I could watch cloud to ground 300 meters in front of me. Just wow. You remember that storm? Yeah. It, it was bad. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, – let's see, that year – was it last year, year before when uh, – when I packed out, packed my deer out after you came over by yeah. where I was, Aaron and I were up on this glassing point in the morning where we typically glass from, and it was a storm was rolling in, so we came back down to camp and literally we're standing there and this it's just starting to rain and lightning hit right where we were sitting. Yeah, at the and it, it was it wasn't very far from where we were, but yeah, for me typically I'm I I'll camp pretty close to where I'm glassing, but I'm not typically camping at the top of a peak for for those reasons so i'm i'm about the same as aaron if if a storm's coming in i'll drop down to camp and then how far like give me an estimation of 100 100 yards off the peak oh we're probably yeah okay yeah a few hundred feet below the the top i'm never i don't i try my best not to camp up a for wind you know i'm always looking for a little patch of of uh you know those little jack pines or whatever yeah and uh yeah and then the lightning is always a concern so i i just um Braden, you should talk to Braden and Phil. Uh, I think they both had a meltdown moment in the Songrays over lightning. I think Braden probably more so than than Phil. Um, and there's, not, I mean, I'm not saying that making fun of Braden. Uh, Omni, when he shot his sheep, he was on a bigger ram and they had to back out. And he swears it saved their lives because it was bad. And so when you have a mountain range that has a abundance of heat on the valley floor and then shooting up to 13,000 feet, when those two pressure systems hit each other, it causes problems. It causes lightning. So for me, um, same exact as Frank. I don't camp at the highest point unless I absolutely have to. Um, I get in some bristlecone and jack pine. I try to get a little ways from the glassing point. And if the storm's rolling through and it's not shooting straight down where I can see it's coming straight at me, I just get in the tent and hope I don't get hit with lightning. Now, on the one that was – I was more worried about Frank. I texted you. Cause it rolled in front of me and I'm talking cloud to ground where I'm watching it out the tent door. And I'm like, that's heading right to Frank. <laughs> and so I think when it went through, I texted you and said, Hey sir, did you make it? And you were like, that was interesting because it, it lit up the tent for me. I mean, it's like turning on lights yeah, off. Yeah. It was right above me. Yeah. That was interesting. How close was it striking to you? Gosh, it was, it was right there. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's always a, f- crazy experience when it's going off right above your head because it's about as loud as anything you ever hear you feel it in your chest oh yeah 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 and, and your you pants like to, try to power down all your electronics like the, yeah that, <laughs> that probably doesn't help but in your mind it does you know like yeah maybe i, I remember i had my walking stick sticking out in the ground and i ran out and threw it and got, get that thing oh about a you know i chunked it got about 100 feet away from me because i'm like any metallic metallic object sticking straight up might be bad. But. Might be in the yeah. Might be the the uh, what like a lightning rod. Well, I think these are some great hints, some great tips um, for guys that are are you know want to do this. And I appreciate you guys' honesty because you don't want to scare people off. But let's be honest, we, you, they need to know what they're getting into. Yeah. Some people I think are just genetically or mentally built for for backpack hunting like with uh, like with frank he doesn't mind being alone at all um other people are are uh they're they're the herd mentality they got to have a friend with them i'm kind of either way it doesn't really matter to me um 
probably not quite at the level of Frank. Frank seriously certainly doesn't mind. I'll go solo and I don't mind, but it doesn't bother me to have somebody with me either. But it's not it's not just being solo. It's also the weather, the food, the altitude. You know, the you know, when I say that meaning if you hike in and you've bit off more than you could chew and you go 7 miles in, you probably should have went in 3, right? Uh, and then you hit weather on the way and everything's soaked and then you're not sleeping well cause you're at high altitude. And so, you, you know, that, mm-hmm. that feeling waking up cause altitude, you're just not used to that. Uh, you add all those things together. Most people are coming off the mountain early. I find that with me, one of my worst things is me, my mind. I get in my own head and, um, I think you guys have talked about this in different podcasts that it's sometimes your worst enemy is yourself. You can talk yourself off the mountain. It's like in basic training when you go in with a knee, knee injury to get out of basic training, you come back with asthma. <laughs> your brain can make up anything for you to come off the mountain, whether it be your wife might be mad, your kid's birthday, uh, work, whatever. Those things are all probably certain things you probably work around but your mind will talk you into com- coming out. Did, uh, was it you that I heard talked about the fact that there was times you were on the mountain and glad you didn't have cell phone service because you would have called your ex-girlfriend and apologized for yeah. Was that you? Yep. Because, I mean, that's... I, that's I how to- your brain works. Yeah, I totally understand <laughs> that. Not that I have an ex-girlfriend I need to apologize for. <laughs> Actually, I probably do. But, um, you know, it's that ability for you to, to dredge up these demons and... You know, here you are, you're, especially mule deer hunting, you got that golden time in the morning, really. I mean, sometimes you can do some stuff in the evening, but most likely it's that morning. And then what do you do? You sit around and think. Well, and I'll bring up a guy specifically, Tony Klim, uh, who, archer, tournament archer, great guy. One of the things, which he doesn't listen to this or he'll probably make fun of me, I took his friendship for granted. I didn't screw him over by any means, but Tony is a very, very good person, and he was always very good to me younger and stupid or whatever and as little things like that and that's not that big tell me if you ask tony like anything like that he'd be like what are you talking about but in my mind i knew i didn't treat that friendship as i i should have in my younger days obviously i'd do anything for tony one time i remember sitting there and for whatever reason started thinking i was like man i i really need to thank him more i need to do more for that guy and did it talk me off the mountain? It certainly didn't help my mood. You know, then I'm all depressed and shit. You know what I, I mean? Because you're thinking about things in the past. And as people listening into this, that show alone, I would say that when's the last, well, we don't count. All of us have been alone for quite a while. But I asked my wife, I was like, when's the last time you went more than 10 hours without human contact? I'm like, it's not that, you know, some of the things on alone, yes, is, is but you got enough gear it's not the gear, right? It in, in, in food is a problem too, but they're they're popping early, right? They're they're hitting the button early. They are not used to that, you know, and their brain is probably talking them, you know what, is this five hundred thousand dollars worth it? My wife could leave me. You're when you get back, what do you think your wife's gonna say? We need five hundred grand. Why the hell did you come back? <laughs> right, right? Right. She wouldn't have let you gone to begin with. And so it's your mind. And and if you don't Jordan Hobo Jordan, the guy that won alone, we've had him on the podcast. In his survival schools, he talks about it. Make sure you are buttoned up and zipped up at your home life when you're gone because then you have nothing to worry about while you're out there, which is easier said than done. It's so easy. Yeah, it's so easier said than done because even small things become huge when you start thinking about them. And here we are talking about stuff that has nothing to do with hunting. You know, being able to compartmentalize 
Yeah. That's not going to help you spot that flick of the ear yes. a thousand yards away, but it is because you're going to be focused, focused you're gonna, you yeah. know, and, and there's the chance of you hiking off, you know, three miles back in, not that big a deal, but seven miles back in, yeah. you're making a commitment there. Yeah. So you are Frank, what would you say if you were to give anybody advice for, for backpack hunting, uh, the mentally above, part, everything like, but you know, overall mental gear, like if, if you gave a list top to bottom, five things to think about from, from top to bottom. I think the mental thing's pretty huge. Um, one thing I like to think is, well, A, you're, you're not going to kill anything if you're back at home sitting on the couch. And if you are back home sitting on the couch, you're probably going to wish that you were still back out there. Mm-hmm. And one thing I always think is, you know, if it, if say, you know, you had a slow day of hunting or whatever, missed a shot, that same thing could happen. You could still, you still have a really good chance of killing something the next day. You know, you, you have to stay in that positive mindset that you could kill something on the first day or you could kill something on the 12th day. So it can happen at any time, even if it looks like it's not going to. So, um, just keeping positive is, is pretty huge. And sometimes it can be tough, but you kind of just kind of have to stick it out pretty hard. Um, and then, uh, like we were talking in the beginning, just using your gear all summer long. Even if you don't live out west, if you say you live out somewhere east, go camping and use your gear and see how you like it. And get acquainted with your gear and see what works and and what doesn't. But a lot of it, a lot of the stuff is kind of for me. Um, it has been learning the hard way, but it helps. You know, you remember better when you <laughs> learn the hard way, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then and then uh, you know, there's a lot of um, assets out there as far as like forums you know aaron does a a ton of seminars um learning from guys that have experience that you can trust you know there's a lot of opinions out there but finding the right people that you want to kind of mold your style to you know get mentors you know i've been lucky i've been able to hunt with aaron a lot and camp with aaron a lot and I've, i've learned a lot from him but um but yeah getting out and using the gear and not sitting at home uh hypothesizing is that a word Sure. It's a George <laughs> so, Bush word. Yeah. Actually, now it's a Biden word, except there'd be some other weird shit thrown in there with it. <laughs> I, I think it's it's really an over-dramatization or, or romanticizing something because of the stigma that comes with it, which is, you know, it, it's hard. Mm-hmm. But there's something to be said for the guy that hikes in there, puts up with that, arrows a buck, and then packs it out on his back. I mean, there's a there's definitely a, a stigma that comes with that. And, uh, you know, it's that self-sustaining, um, tough type of almost, almost to a, a I don't want to say military, but almost special ops type feeling, um, you know, where you're going in there and you're, you're in your mind withstanding that thunderstorm is just something you're going to have to do until you're laying in that tent and it's cracking above your head. Yeah. Sometimes I think some of these hunts, um, when somebody asks me a lot of times, you know, a lot of times they're super fun, but sometimes hunts you get back and you're like, yeah, it was funner now that we're done. Yeah. But yes. I mean, <laughs> you know, I would love to do it again, I, but when you're in the moment, sometimes you're like, damn, there's a little bit of suffering involved, but it's also self-induced suffering. So it's not like you, you're being forced into doing this. It's not, you're doing this for fun after all, you know? So I would say that enjoy it. in 18 was probably a lot funner after I killed the deer (laughs) that was a rough one but surrounding yourself with good people at home and in the field is an important Mm -hmm. one people that motivate you and don't get down um check your gear don't overpack um you know and the other thing is too that that I don't think people realize is you don't have to be an extreme backpack hunter you don't have to go to the level of the story with you and 
you don't need to go do that to, to backpack hunt. If you are not, if you're a one and a half mile guy in, be a one and a half mile guy in. There's nothing wrong with that. So hunt at the, the level that keeps you happy. What good does it do to go hate it for 10 days when you waited 365 days to do it? You know, hunt, uh, to, to your ability, to, to your mental, um, depth, I guess you could say. So if you, if you don't want to be a high country mule deer hunter, don't hunt them in the timber when you're hunting elk. Hunt what is best for you in that situation, um, and I think you'll be a lot better off. And always keep it fun. If if you smoke yourself every day and you're doing dumb things, it's not going to be. It won't even be fun when you finish. Like you you keep everything in perspective. You know you're not out there you know saving lives. You're out there to have fun with your own. And and I think people probably take that a little bit probably because of the over dramatization of that shit on hunting videos. Not everything is epic back there, you know. No. It's it's just going to be fun, or try it, to keep it fun. I get it. Such a, a immense amount of emails and 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 feedback, you know, whether it's through social media about uh, what we do, but they people forget, you know, the videos they see or the films that we make about a hunt. That you know, that's a one hundredth of what happened on that hunt because you just only have so a limited amount of time. And if you're making a film, you have twelve minutes to tell this whole adventure in twelve minutes. So all of the, unless it's like a, a, a funny or a super intense segment that, that you add in to add drama or to show the, the sucky side of it, most of the suck factor doesn't make the cut. It's like Instagram. Yeah. You don't see the bad groups. Yeah. You see the good groups. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. and that's true. I, I, occasionally you'll get, it's hard to show in video what someone is thinking after a blown stock. It's, it. And I, and it's hard for me to like explain Amy adrenaline before, you know, I told her a hundred times what exactly would happen. She still lost her shit on her first animal. Right. You got to experience it. Well, you know, when a guy takes a knee after blowing a stock and Frank's watching me from, which has happened many times from a mile and a half away, he probably knows what I'm thinking. Cause it's happened to him. But for most people they are like, Oh, that sucks. He missed one. Yeah, there's a lot more than that sucks you missed one. There's a lot of pain and anguish in that because I got to walk back with the cone of shame. I burnt calories. I burnt food. I blew the deer out. It may not be back later. Now we got to find more deer. It's not just, oh, he blew that deer out. Yeah, there's a lot more to it than that. And and you only see, oh, look how close he got on that stock. Yeah, you don't see the internal tears dropping as the deer runs away. And and people experience that, probably listening laughing and saying, oh, yeah people listen like, i can't wait to experience that be careful what you wish for right. <laughs> but if you bow hunt you will experience it yeah, yeah. If, and if you really want to experience it a lot grab a recurve that'll that'll definitely put you in your place yeah but, it's the the they it should be called the humble stick yeah because it i called it the struggle stick and i've had people say humble call it the humble stick it's too late now it's called the struggle stick but Either way, you you are hunting with a primitive weapon or or a compound, a semi. You know, you're you're still flinging a stick. There's gonna be times that you know you may have six stocks that you blow everyone out. Try to stay again, stay stay positive and and keep positive people around you, just like in life, and you'll do a lot better. Yeah, yeah, that's good, good, good stuff, good stuff. Oh well, cool man. It's we've been on an hour and a half. You got anything else you want to add? No, I think this is great. This is probably gonna make two because I'm thinking we'll do the the gear stuff and then we'll, I want to do just the mental game yeah. because I mean that in and of itself, what we talked about, the mental capacities, I think that's extremely important. Yeah. So, and, uh, 
That's a tough. I'd say if you want to really test your mental ability, just get your ass out there. It'll, it'll yeah. definitely test it. But uh, I think it's good for everyone. Kind of like everybody should join the army or the military for at least a couple years. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, you know, everybody should re-roof a house and change your own oil at least once. Head into the back country for at least a few days and and uh, you know make you a better person and at least see what you got. Well, and I just want to throw out there again, invite people if you if you hunt Colorado or want to hunt Colorado. There's a reason you should be a member of the CBA, because in order to maintain what we have, we've got to have a voice, and we can't have that voice without y'all out there joining and helping us have a bigger voice, because the the louder we speak, the more people we talk about, the the better we can make our, our season structures, and because there are groups that are trying to take that away from us. Yeah, many, many now. Definitely a strong united front with uh, everybody rowing in the right direction is more important than ever. So where can people join the CBA? So the easiest way is with the new website, coloradobullhunting.org. Um, uh, you know, the the magazine, of course, is the Colorado Bowhunter, but it's coloradobowhunting.org. There's a join. If you, Even if you've joined sometime in the past, just go renew. It's, it's 30 bucks. I mean, it's cheap. And you get six awesome magazines now. You know, um, and th- this is the type of stuff we want to focus on, get this information out. But even more than that, build that community that's going to go behind the scenes, uh, you know, and we need people. We need new, fresh, exciting, eager people that can help with the fight. And, and every little bit helps. There you go, people. Go join the CBA. Um, and definitely the magazine is awesome. We've got our man, Justin Davis, on the cover of this one. Youngest, uh, youngest bow hunter ever to achieve the big nine, which is crazy. And he's a little ninja. He's a killer. So good article with him in there. So again, thanks for hopping on. Everybody join the yeah, CBA. Thank you. Frank, anything, parting words? Oh yeah. Thanks for coming in, man. It was awesome. It's Fun always time. fun. Always fun. All right. Take it easy, everybody.